Well, today uh, is our final uh, installment of the Colossians series. This is number 24. This is the final one. This is it, guys. And uh, it's been a great series. Uh, lots happened. I think we've added uh, like 100 people to all of our uh, locations uh, through this series. And uh, God's been good. But um, if you'll turn with me to Colossians 4. Uh, Colossians 4, we're going to read 7 through 18, and uh, this, you know, when you go out to eat, I mean, you could go out specifically for one kind of food, you can go out for steak, or you can go out for Mexican or Italian, or, and, you know, you can get one meal, um, or you can go to a tapas restaurant, I said tapas restaurant, okay, and so where you can go and kind of get like a collection of, of different things, some of you are just now catching up to what I was saying there, but the, um, oh wait, okay, everyone else, you there? Okay, let's go. And so um, th- we can go like, get like a bunch of different things, and, and, and it rem- today I think we're eating uh, tapas. Today we're eating a bunch of different things because there's not just one key theme uh, that he talks about in this section, but he really talks about a lot of different things. So we're going to kind of go through this and, and uh, just tackle the, the different uh, things that Paul has to say. This is kind of his last word to us. Uh, he just spent just amazing uh, these four chapters just talking about the greatness of God and the greatness of Jesus and uh, how great our salvation is and how we become Christians and how we're to live this life and how we do family and how we do, um, you know, work and how we do all these different things. And, and now he's going to end it. And he's going to use some big names, which, I mean, I, I just, w- I mean, I know they, the Bible has names like Mark and John and Paul, you know, and I, I wish they would use more names like that, but there, he, there's some long ones in here, and so bear with me. Um, verses 7 through 18, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent, to you, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. Um, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, so this isn't Jesus the Messiah, he's distinguishing this isn't Jesus the Messiah, and I think just to say really quick about this point, is that uh, Jesus was a very common name uh, during the life of the Jesus that we call Lord and Savior. Um, in fact, of the two others that were crucified him on the cross, there was another Jesus on the cross. I mean, what are the odds of that? And uh, it, I think it just goes to show you just that how common Jesus was amongst us. He, he wanted to be uh, totally incarnate into our society to just to say, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'm sharing this with you. And I think if he was to be uh, with us today, if Jesus was to come on, we have a lot of Dan's here, and so maybe he would be Dan. I don't know, and uh, I mean, you know, an upgraded version. But you know, so um, no offense, Dan's, but so Jesus, who is called Justice, and then Paul says, these are the only men of the circumcision. I mean, these are the only one among the Jews, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. 
Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nepha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that also you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you have fulfill, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I think the first thing that jumps out at me uh, in this passage is just all the names. He mentions ten people. And I think Paul here is just really underlying and emphasizing the reality that this is a team, this is a team thing here. This isn't a one-man show. I don't minister on my own, but there's a whole bunch of people who are serving this, serving this church. Uh, Paul starts his letter saying, he doesn't just say, hey, here, here I am, Paul. But he says, hey, here, here's, me, here's Paul and here's Timothy. We write these things to you. In the beginning of this very letter, we talked about this, that he starts it kind of going out of his way almost to say this is a team effort. And then here in the end, he's really emphasizing that all this ministry that I do in this church, in these region of churches, um, is I, I've got a team with me. There's a team with me co-laboring that's on the ground with you, but there's also this team outside of your church that's laboring uh, with me as well. And we just here at Jubilee, we are just so convinced of the team nature of, of, of the church, the team nature of leadership. And so there's, there's several reasons for that. Number one, God himself is a team. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now there is a captain, captain of team God, and that's the Father. And uh, we believe that Jubilee Church, and, and any church really, needs to be led by a team just as God is a team. And then there needs to be a captain, and you know, that's me here, but they're, we're, we're doing this together. It's not a one-man show. We're, we're, we're doing this all together. And the second reason is that the Bible spe- always speaks of elders and pastors in the plural form. So like in Hebrews, when he says, obey your elders, it doesn't say obey your elders, it says obey your elders. And in um, Ephesians chapter 4, when he's talking about how Jesus gives gifts to the church in the form uh, of men, he says that you, God has given you pastors doesn't give a church a pastor, gives a church pastors. There's, there's a plurality of that, so the Bible speaks of it. But the third thing is more of a practical reason, is just that, that when we're working to our strengths, we can help to cancel out each other's weaknesses. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. Not one person has the mind of Christ. There's no one outside of Jesus that sees things 360. But together, if, we are, if we're playing to our strengths, not you know playing to the lowest common denominator, but playing to our strengths, we can really help each other. And, I, and I've seen that happen in, in the team that we have here, the, the eight group of elders. And we're, we're of one heart, we're of one mind, we're going for the same thing. We're, I mean, we're really together. But we, co- we, we have, all have different gifts, and we all come at issues from a different angle. And I, I think there are four basic, qu- four, sorry, that's five, four basic questions that every um, uh, leader asks. Uh, one question is, hey, where are we going next? Hey, what's next for us? What's, what does God have for us? Where, where he's leading us? Another important question a leader asks is, is it true? Is it, is it right? Is it, is it biblical? Uh, a third question a leader should ask is, will it work? And then finally, how does this affect people? And we all, all the elders ask those questions, but we, we, we ask them in a different order of priority. There, each one of us instinctively wants to answer uh, one of those questions first. For me, it's, it's, what, it's what's next. You know, what is God doing next? What, you know, what, what's the next thing for us? Where is he taking us? Where does he want us to go? And so that's usually, and so I'm full of ideas that relate to what we're doing, just other different things. So I'm always coming, hey, guys, we could do this. Or what, what about this? Or what about that? And let's buy a bus. And, you know, let's buy a snow cone machine. And let's, like, 
why? It'd just be awesome. And just like, you know, let's do that. And, and so I have all these different ideas. And, and, um, and then Mike, you know, his question, he, he's just so brilliant at saying, hey, is this, is, this, what, is this in the Bible? Is this the right thing to do? Is it, I mean, he's so instinctive. And I mean, there are other guys too, but just he seems to be the one to ask that question first. And he's just so great. He's, he's given himself to study and understanding the, not just the Bible, but commentaries. His head is so full of knowledge. I mean, his head just, his shoulders can't keep it. It just kind of wobbles around. It's just so awesome. And like, so he even says, so, hey, you know, let's buy a bus. He's like, Brian, do you realize that you have to have a, um, a special license to drive a bus? I'm like, only if you get caught. And, and, and so like, he's keeping me out of jail. It's really awesome. And so he, he reads this book every year that's like this thick, just on church law. And he reads the updated version all the time. And he, like, bought insurance on things that I say. And just, like, he's just, he's great. And so, um, and so they're just guys that ask what's true. And the other people who say, uh, you know, the third question is, like, will this work? Do we have the resources? Do we have the right plan? Do we have the right systems in place? And, you know, I, I, we'll all chip in on that. But a lot of times we'll, we'll, um, we'll outsource that. We'll, there's lots of experts uh, in the church that we can ask and say, hey, this is something we feel like. God wants us to do, what do you think about this? Does this plan, this plan work? And so we've got, you know, we've got God's, what's next for us, and it's biblical, it's true. We've got a plan in place, and we're ready to take a coffee break. And then Kurt says, hey, wh- how's this going to affect people? I'm like, oh, yeah, there's people in the church. And so we, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that we consider. And so there's ideas that we would have and things that we feel that God's spoken to us that we feel are absolutely right. They're absolutely biblical, and it'll absolutely work. But because we've considered how it'll affect people, we, we don't do it, or we, we don't do it right away, well, well, it's maybe not the right time. And we need all these per- different perspectives chipping in, because left to our own, I mean, you know, who knows where things would go if it was just me? Or who knows where things would go if it was just Mike or just Kurt? And, and we, we all need each other, and, and all the guys chip in at, at, at one of those, those levels. And so it's so crucial, and you're the same way. I mean, I, I, after, after I get done preaching, some of you will say, man, I just love the vision. I love where this church is headed. And I don't know what you're talking about out of the Bible, but I just love where this thing's going. I mean, just love the vision of this. And some of you are like, just, I just love, the, you know, how you just go verse by verse. I just love this Colossians series. I love steak and potatoes. I just love what you're bringing out here. And you, wanna, you just want to know, you know, the truth is being taught. And some of you are just like, man, this, this stuff that gets so practical, so helpful, and it helps me in my my walk with Jesus helps me in my life, helps me with my parenting, helps me with my marriage. It's just helpful. And you think of it that way. And some of you just, man, I just love the love here and just how it feels. And, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. I just want to hug. And it's just like, so you come from, from that different angle. And we're all that way. And that's why, but, and so, and as a leadership team, we want all these different perspectives so we can go as a, as a team. Now, even though that we have different guys from different giftings and different angles, we still realize even in our leadership team, we don't have it all together. And so we're quite regularly bringing in guys from the outside. And so we've had Terry Virgo so helpful in preaching great biblical truth and, and leading us forward that way. And I've got, we've had my friend Josh Corey a few different times and Donnie Griggs really practical and helpful in, in building systems and how to build church. And uh, friends of mine like Travis and uh, Tom Shaw, they've come through and just really helped the leadership and us to, to kind of really know how to connect with people and, and think of it from the people's perspective and and uh and then later this year we're gonna have uh, Tapi Colioso and he's this he's this black Nigerian from London and he's just gonna set this place on fire and I'm afraid and because 
I mean, I just feel like we just need to start fasting right now for, because if we don't have revival here, he's going to get mad at me. He think, he, some of you guys think I'm intense, but he's like, Brian, you're such a sweet-spirited man, young boy. It's just like, whoa. And so he's, but he's awesome. He's going to do so good for our church and Dave Holt and other guys. And so we want to bring in all these guys. And it's not just even, you know, leadership from the church, but we're, we're a team as, uh, as, as together. It's not even just leaders that, that make things happen, but it's, it's an entire team. Um, I think it, I love that value here at this church. The average church spends about 58% of its budget on personnel or staff expenses, and we're just under 40. And I think a big part of that is that we understand that we want to be a church where everything comes together. And we've got great administrative staff, and we've got, I mean, the community group leaders and those of you who are apprenticing to be community group leaders um, I mean, you're just bearing such a burden. In fact, if you're a community group leader or a, an apprentice in our Washington location and our Lake location and here, would you just stand? We just, if you're leading a group or apprenticing, we stand up. Just you carry such. Don't be don't be afraid. Stand up. Awesome. <laughs> These guys are just carrying such a big burden, and and then volunteers. Whether you you know you. We have volunteers and, you know, AV and worship and greeting and kids and ushers and offering all that. If you're a volunteer at anything, would you just stand up? You're part of Team Jubilee. Stand up. Just, let's just thank these people for all that they do. And we all, and if you're here at any level, we're, we're all here to encourage and comfort each other. And I just want us to know that this isn't just me who's like, or even just like me and the worship leader. This isn't just us who's coming to minister to this church and city. This is, this is all of us together. We're all in this together as a team, and it's awesome. And so Paul is really emphasizing that because God is a team, um, it, the church needs to be as a team, and you need to be a team. I mean, one of the things I thought about is like, so Paul's writing this letter, and he's thanking all the people that, that are part of his life and his ministry. Let me ask you a question. If you were to write a letter to, to someone, who would you mention? Who, who's a part of your team? Who's really with you? Who's alongside of you, loving you, caring for you, speaking truth to you? And who are you doing that for? Life is a team sport, and you need a team around you. And Paul's like, man, you, you've you got to know that church is a team, God is a team, and you, you're a team. Because look what he says here. He says, um, Paul says, uh, about Tychicus. Check this out. In verse 8, he says, I have sent him for this very purpose. Now, a little geography helps. Uh, Paul's in Ephesus, and Colossae is 120 miles away. And I don't know what kind of transportation they had access to. It was either walking or a camel. But either one of them, 120 miles, is no walk in the park, okay? And so he says, I sent him for this very purpose. What purpose? It, it wasn't to come to do some big strategy meeting. It wasn't to come help them, like, uh, minister to the poor, as important that is. It wasn't there to, to sort out their theology. He says, I have sent them for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. That's it. So he comes to Tychicus. I've got a very important thing. I want you to go 120 miles. It's going to take you days, months. I don't know. What do you want me to do? Update my Facebook. I mean, it's just like, that's it. That's it. Paul is just underlining so importantly, like, the value of knowing and being known. 
Now, he has a, a purpose in it. He says, so that your hearts would be encouraged. It is so crucial for you to know and to be known. I just want to know where you're at with that. How are you at letting other people know you? And how are you at getting to know others? Just a few tips. Um, knowing and getting to know 101. This is freshman level. Take 30 minutes. Take 10 minutes before every, come early 10 minutes to every service and stay late 20 minutes. Thir- thir- 101, this is like freshman level. If you're interested in living this out, how do I know and be known? Well, 101 is give, invest 30 minutes a week in this. Now, it's not optimal, but it, it's a start. It's 101. It's freshman level. It's a great place. Give it 30 minutes. Come 10 minutes early and stay 20 minutes after. Um, okay, now you're ready to go sophomore. 201. Join a serving team. It, one, you'll practically help, but in serving teams, there's, there's a way that you get to know each other. You're, you're serving alongside, and you get to see the church from the inside and not just from the outside. You can see the church from the inside. And this is awesome for those of you like me who are introverts. I mean, like, I, when I'm talking to people, I, I can only come up with three questions, which is, like, what's your name, where are you from, and what's your name again? And so those are, like, the three questions. That, and then after that, I'm, I have to tap out. I mean, I just don't have any other extroversion in me, and so that's all I have. And so if you're an introvert like me, man, serving is a great way because you have a task to do, and you can, you know, stay busy, and it's not so awkward. But as you get to serve alongside, whether that's coffee, greeting, or with kids, as, you, as you're going about your task, you're just going to learn little things. You graduate to, you know, what's your name to what you do last weekend? Or what are you doing this week? Or can I pray for you? Or can you pray for me? Getting to know 301. Now you're get, becoming an upperclassman in, in knowing and get to know. Join a community group. These meet throughout the week, and they're groups of 12 to 15 to grow in Christ, to study the scripture, to love each other, to care for each other, to serve each other. Now, groups are on a, a, a break right now, to, mainly to give the, the leaders uh, that, we, that serve so well uh, a breather. But even in that, I know I love our group. I mean, there's, uh, there's a baby that's been born in our midst, and, uh, you know, the, a new person in the group actually is, is organizing you know, hey, let's take, let's bring meals, and let's give them a gift, and let's do all this stuff, and it's just great. And you need to be, you need to, you need, you need someone to know you so they can know how to love you and take care of you. If you don't get to know anyone, they don't know how to love you and encourage you. And if you don't get to know them, you don't know how to love and encourage them. So it's so, so critically important. But then, that's, that's not where it ends. I mean, senior level, know and being known 401 is do life with other people. I mean, the vision that the Bible gives out for community is much bigger than just one slot a week. Our hope for community isn't that you come here on a Sunday for 30 minutes and then check and then go to uh, someone's home for two hours. Our, our hope is that you begin to like uh, not just become friends but really become family and all points of life begin to connect with each other. And so you learn to, you know, you, ha- you have fun together, you, you play together, you, you, have, you share meals together, you share your struggles, you confess sin, you really let them know. It's a place where you can be completely transparent, you can take the mask off, you can be who you really are, not just who you pretend to be. It's so critically important that you do that. Are you, are you making it a point? Tychicus went 120, 120 miles. Are you making a point? Are you 
emphasizing this. Now, I realize, you know, some of you have jobs to where you can't get to a community group, and I don't want you to feel bad because we mentioned get to a group a lot. But it's so, you cannot get around this. I just, Paul just, again, once again, emphasizes that to, to know and to be known is so, so important. And then he says, um, uh, verse 9, he says, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? There are three things in that verse there that I think, are, that I think Paul's trying to make a point here. One of them is our, the second one is brother, and the last one is one of you. Now you need to know who Onesimus is. There's a short little book in the Bible called Philemon. And Philemon was a, was a wealthy man in the church in the Colossae region. Not sure exactly what church, but he was in that. And he got saved uh, through the preaching of Paul. He was a very wealthy businessman. And he had this slave named Onesimus. Now what happened is Onesimus stole something from Philemon. And he took off. He left. Uh, and he took refuge in Rome. Now in the sovereignty of God, Onesimus becomes a Christian through the ministry of Paul. And Paul gets a hold of him and says, hey, you know, where are you from? And he found out the connection with Philemon. And he sends him back to his owner. And uh, that's what Philemon's back. In fact, I want to show you this part where Paul... Uh, mentions this in Philemon 1, uh, well, there's only one chapter. It's Philemon verse 15 to 18. He says, for this perhaps is why he, w- excuse me, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you may have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, um, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. What's the takeaway? A couple things here. One is that Paul is emphasizing here that we all are equal in Christ. There is no longer, he says in Colossians 3, you might remember this, there is no Jew or Gentile, man or woman, rich or poor, uh, black or white, uh, free or slave, but we are all one in Christ. We all have this equality in Christ. So what he's saying is like in the midst of diversity, and we need to have diversity, and we need to push for that, we need to continually remind ourselves that we're all equal under Christ. And so I don't know where you're at. To maybe you're, you're at a, a, a lower economic standing, and you're intimidated by those who have a greater economic standing. I believe God would want to speak to you, hey, look, you are equal in Christ. And if, you're, if you have a higher economic standing and you tend to maybe look down on those who have a lower economic standing, I believe Jesus would say to you, hey, you are one in Christ. And that's Paul says, Onesimus, he is your brother. He is one of us. We are all equal in Christ. And then he talks about uh, Aristarchus. My fellow, prison, uh, my, fellow prison, my fellow prisoner greets you. Now, he could be in prison because he, like Paul, was preaching the gospel, but most scholars believe that he was in prison because he volunteered to go there, to be, just to be with Paul and to give him a companion. It reminds me of, of Hebrews 10, and in Hebrews 10, um, there was a scene where people were constantly under the threat of persecution. And, and people were being thrown in prison. And there was, it, it says there in, a fee, in a, excuse me, Hebrews 10, it's around verse 30-something. It says that they were, uh, some of them were put into prison. And when you were put into prison back in this era, you depended upon your friends for food and water and medical attention. Now, if the reason why you're in prison 
is that you're a Christian, it's risky business if you're a friend and you go give them water. Why? Because that means that you're a Christian too. You implicate yourself. So the writer of Hebrews talks about this time where they had a decision to make. Do we go? Do we go and, 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 and experience persecution ourselves? Or do we ignore them and let them die? And it says you had compassion on them because you knew yourselves had a greater and more abiding possession. They thought up maybe Psalm 63 that said the steadfast love of the Lord is better in life, let's go. So they went to them, and they, it says that they had their property plundered, they had their houses set on fire, and people with big knives came and intimidated them. And some were tortured because of what they did. And Paul here in the Bible saying, man, when, we're, when we come together as a church, we stand arm in arm. We're not just friends. We're not just people who happen to believe the same things and live in the same area. We are brothers and we are sisters. And I know in my family, when my kids get sick, you know, we, I'm staying up with them. Or if they need help, I'm, I'm with them. I'm, I'm staying with them. I'm bearing the burden with them. When, when my wife was pregnant, uh, when she was getting ready to deliver uh, one of our three kids, I didn't call a cab. I went with her. <laughs> and, we, and what's what you do in your family? You, you, you go with them. You, you bear it with them. And here, this guy's bearing it with them. He's mentioning to him, hey, I just want to mention this guy who's bearing it with me. And he's not doing it. Um, he's not just doing it for, uh, you know, it's not a coincidence. He's saying, hey, look, this is what it looks like. I want you to bear each other's burdens. I want you to be there for each other, even when it really, really costs you. And then he talks about, um, he talks about, so he talks about um, uh, Aristarchus, and then he says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, which there was a sharp dispute that he had. This is a, this 12 years earlier. Um, there was a sharp dispute between Paul and Mark. Mark kind of chickened out on a mission trip. He kind of bailed on him. And there was a sharp dispute, and they split ways. And 12 years later, now he's mentioning him. He's saying, hey, this guy, you know, welcome him. There's reconciliation there. In fact, many people believe that Mark and Paul were in prison together in Rome at the end of their life. Just says, hey, we're going to have sharp disputes when we, when we go together as a community. Man, we need to keep short, short accounts and learn to open our hearts to them. I mean, that's really what happened with, with Paul and Onesimus as well. He says that, hey, if he's done any wrong, I'll pay for it. If you want to be mad at someone, be mad at me. If you want to punch someone, punch me. I think we need to be so passionate about reconciliation that we, we go to each other, of course, but if we, there's some way we can broker uh, uh, togetherness and reconciliation between someone else, we need to be willing to do that. And that's what he says here. But so he says, he talks about Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus, who is called Justice, as well as Onesimus and Tychicus, these five people. He says this, he says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they comfort, they're a comfort to me. Now, you can argue with me on this, but I, I pick up a hint of disappointment and loneliness in Paul's voice. I mean, here's Paul, who's like risking life and limb for this great kingdom advance. I mean, he's really, go he talks about how he's been beaten uh, multiple times, five times. He's been stoned. Uh, he's been left for dead. Uh, he's been without food and water. He's been shipwrecked twice. And one of those times he was shipwrecked, he swims to shore only to get bitten by a snake. I mean, that day officially sucks. And so when you have that happen to you, so here he is risking life and limb, and he says this, these are the only men 
who are with me. I mean, I pick up some disappointment in his voice. And I may be talking to a narrow crew here, but when you really take something on, like you get passionate about something or you want to lead something, or it, it, you'll find yourself really wanting to do something only to find that there are a few with you. So maybe you've got this really great idea about reaching the poor and you tell all your friends, but only a few want to join you with that. Or maybe you're a worship leader, just like, man, why aren't more people worshiping? Or maybe you just really love theology. Why, why aren't more people loving the Bible? Why don't more people love the scripture? There's just a few that seem to be interested. Or maybe you really want to you wanna help someone. Say, hey, let's come alongside and really help this person. And just a few are in that with you. Or maybe you're a community group leader. And you, in one week, you've got, you know, you do an ice cream social and 30 people show up. Next week, you're cleaning the streets for your neighborhood and three people show up. And you're just left just disappointed. I just want to say you have an opportunity to finish your sentence. I want to show you what Paul says. He says, and they have been a comfort to me. Paul chose not to be resentful toward those who weren't with him. But he instead chose to be grateful and to be comforted by those who were with him. And I just want to take this opportunity once again just to thank just every member, every volunteer, every stakeholder in Jubilee, every, everyone who's like is contributing. I just want to say thank you. It is, it is a genuine comfort to me. When I come in here early and I see people just serving and serving so well, it just, it's, it comforts me. When I see people, when I hear stories about someone had a need and someone got together and they, meet, they met that need, it, it comforts me. When I see, hear about someone staying up till one, two, three in the morning to talk something through with a friend, it comforts me. When I hear about someone speaking the truth in love, it comforts me. When I see every month, you know, just the, the, the you know, the, how our needs are met financially. I mean, it's just so good to know that there's so many people who are just in this kingdom work that God has given us together. That I'm far from alone. There are just so many, so many of you who just are in there. I just want to say that it comforts me. And I want to encourage you, because I know there are several people in here who are really passionate about things. They're really leading things and really trying to make things happen. And in your frustration, when there seems to be so few who are joining you, I just want to say, hey, don't resent those who don't join you. When you're feeling a bit unsupported, decide instead to be comforted by those who are with you. And be grateful to them and let them know. And then he mentions Epaphras, who says, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. You might remember that in chapter 1, Paul said the same thing to, about Epaphras. Here's the leader of the church. He's a servant, and he is always um, struggling on your behalf in prayer. And that word struggling, if you might remember, means to contend or wrestle. Actually, it's, it's a rare word uh, that gets used here in the New Testament. It's only used three times. It really means pain. Like he's really in this angst and agony, and he's really struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I just want to know who you're struggling, who you're struggling in prayer for. I know for me, when I when I when prayer when you know when I'm not praying so much for people, it's really the result of one thing, and that is that I've got I think too much of my ability to make something happen and too little of, of God's ability. So if there's an issue, I just jump into action and I and I'm not really praying. I'm, I'm minimizing what God can do in the situation. Or I'm just like, oh, they'll get through it. They can do it. They'll help themselves up. 
And so I, I, max, I, I overestimate their ability and I underestimate God's situation. And so it really comes back to we're, we're praying people are those who really have a true Godward focus. And so it's so important to check our hearts and say, man, am I struggling in prayer for things? Or am I just day after day just kind of going through the motions? Luke, then he says, the beloved physician greets you. I think it's important that he says, he doesn't say um, that he mentions his actual occupation. I mean, Luke is a guy who wrote actually more scripture than Paul. He wrote uh, the gospel of Luke in Acts in, in terms of quantity. He wrote, I mean, he was, he was with Paul everywhere he went. He was a kingdom, kingdom guy. And he first was Luke, you know, son of God, you know, child of God. But he, I think it's, mentioned, it's important that he says, Luke, the beloved physician, which I think he's just saying once again, we, we hit this a couple weeks ago, that what you do is important. That how you spend your time the rest of the six days is important. That his life as a physician was important. And God doesn't minimize what you do. It's not like, you know, churchy stuff is what's really valuable. But God says all of life is an opportunity to bring honor and glory to his name. And he just wants to say, hey, it's so important what he does and it's so important what we do. And then he says, Luke greets you as does Demas. Now, Demas is an interesting guy because right now he's being heralded as one of the top ten. This is one of the top ten guys that helps me. But later on, uh, we find that Demas falls away. In 2 Timothy 4.10, uh, Paul sadly says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. There, there is an attract. there's something, there's, there's power in the world systems that lure us in. And I just want to see if you are guarding your heart. You know, Solomon said, the wisest person ever says, above all else, which means this is the most important, above all else, guard your heart. You need to guard what you, what's happening in your heart. We don't know why he fell away. I mean, maybe he got involved in a relationship. And someone said, hey, you know, that relationship is becoming too important to you. And he says, you know, forget you. I want the relationship. And he deserted Paul. Maybe it was money. Maybe money lured him away. Maybe it was a career. I mean, God values what you do, and it's an opportunity to worship. It's not, don't worship your career. So maybe that's what deserted him. Maybe that's why he deserted him. That's maybe why he fell in love with the world. And there's a right way that we are to love the world. We, we should want the world to be redeemed. We should want the world to be saved. I mean, after all, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he died for the world. But Jesus also says that he did not entrust himself to the world. Because God the Father had given him a job to do, and he didn't want the world to entice him to take him off track. The world enticed Demas and took him off track. And friends, is, is there any way, in any capacity, that the world may be taking you off track, what God has asked you to do? We have this passage here in, in James I want to show you. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you have this, if you find yourself, like, entertaining, just, you, you find your heart kind of, le- kind of leaning in that direction. You, you don't need to play with it. You don't need to manage it. You need to kill it. I mean, I can feel this in my own life. I'm 38 years old, and as you live some life, and you get a few bucks in the account, you, you start to have stuff, life becomes, you, you begin to, I begin to feel, uh, you know, what a be- better vacation would be nice, and, you know, new curtains, or hardwood floors, or whatever, you just begin, you just begin to get sucked into 
certain things. Um, maybe I'll buy a boat or whatever it is. And none of those things are wrong in themselves, but I can feel, I can feel, I don't know if you feel this, I feel the world and its, and its desires creeping up into my heart. The Bible says you need to take out a sword and just cut that off. You need to guard, above all else, you need to guard your heart. Young lions grow up to be big lions, and big lions eat people. Don't mess around with it. If you find yourself, if you find yourself being enticed by anything, you, you find yourself drifting, now's the time. These desires will grow up, they will become sin, and they will lead to a death. And then he mentions this woman named Nympha. She opens her home for church to happen. This, this fall, we need at least 30 homes to be opened. Just at a basic level to do community group. Just to meet the ne- this community needs that we have, not to mention the needs of the world. But the reality is every Christian should see their home, their apartment, their, um, their dorm or whatever as an opportunity to do hospitality. You see, because Jesus, he showed the ultimate hospitality to us. We were the ultimate outsiders. The Bible says that we were once not a people, but through the cross, through the blood of Jesus, we were brought near. We were brought in. And that's what hospitality is. Hospitality is the attitude and the practice of turning strangers into friends and friends into family. To bring them more and more into the center of your life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, hey, you can come in just a little bit. He said, you can come all the way in. You are seated with me in heavenly places. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. If you need anything, you ask for it and I will give it to you. He shows us the ultimate hospitality in Christians. If we understand the hospitality that Christ has shown us, we will more and more, just at a snap of the finger, be willing to show hospitality to others. And this woman did that and she's being praised for it. And I just want to encourage us in our hospitality. And then it says, when the letter has been read among you, just think the reading of scripture in public is so important. I mean, I read it here today, and we're going through this verse by verse, and we have other people come and read the scripture. But the reading of scripture is so important. And then he ends with this, and I'll end with this as well. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember me in chains. And now what he's trying to say there, and remember me in chains, is to say, hey, I want you to pray for me. Um, don't forget about me, just because I'm not there with you. I wish I was there with you. In fact, he's never met these people. But he has such a abiding love and affection. He wants to be there present, but he's in chains, so he's, he's saying to him, will you pray for me? And Paul was very unapologetic about asking people to pray for him. And he was very unapologetic about asking people to pray for the readers. And I just wanted to end today by saying, I want you to pray for me. I've, there, I've have lots of issues gaps and I need your prayer the elders in this church they need your prayer your community group leader they need your prayer anyone who serves you in any capacity they need your, your prayer and, and you need to be prayed for and that's what Paul's saying Paul's saying hey I want you to know that your that your leader Epaphras he's struggling in prayer for you and I want you to pray for, pray for him and I want you to pray for us just want to encourage you to do that, just to take some time this week and, and to pray for me, to pray for, um, if you're a teacher, pray for your coordinator, 
you have a kid in J Kids, pray for the teacher in that class. Just pray for those who, who lead and serve you because we need that, as do you.